I have always, always been a germaphobe. Even before COVID hit, I was the kind of person that put hand sanitizer in my purse. And I was the one to always ask other people, did you wash your hands? We can ask Garrett to fact check this. How many times in our marriage do you think I have asked you, did you wash your hands? Too many, he says. And I will say, Garrett is not a dirty person by any means. I promise you can shake his hand. He is a clean person. But let's just say that our thinking slightly differs when it comes to the respect of germs. I have admittedly very, very high standards. When we go into hotel rooms, I wipe down all the doorknobs and the light switches I wash between every toe at every shower, and I wash my hands at every encounter with a cracked egg. And without outing some of Garrett's regular behaviors, I'll just say that I end up encouraging hand washing a lot around our household. So this is a familiar line in our text today. These religious authorities sound a lot like me. Jesus I don't think your disciples washed their hands before that meal they're eating. It's not an overly ridiculous observation or request. It comes from a religious tradition. Hand washing had come about for a very good reason. It stemmed from these purity laws from Leviticus. There was a respect for God and for encountering the presence of God through a meal, and so everyone was to come as clean and pure as possible. They knew that it was healthy to wash hands, not just for the individual eating, but for the community as a whole. And so to be clean in coming to a meal or in coming to worship had to do with care for the whole community a lesson that we can certainly draw from today. So these rules of hand-washing had very good intentions. But somewhere along the line, the traditions of hand-washing, of food-washing, of washing cups and kettles and pans became more ritual, and they lost their meaning. It became tradition without reason. As some of you know, in addition to my role here as pastor, I work part-time as a church consultant. And I partner with churches all across the country of different sizes and denominations, and they call on me and my company when they're in times of transition or of chaos or change, and I help them chart a path forward. It's a job that I love and find really interesting and one that I think makes me a better pastor where I am. And one of the things that I've noticed in my consulting work is that struggling churches often have one thing in common. And it's exactly the phenomenon described in our story today. Not a lack of hand-washing, but tradition with lost reason. Tradition with lost reason. And I'll, I'll give you an example of it. There was a church that I worked with in particular that was really, really trying to increase participation and recruit new volunteers into the life and activity of the church. 
And one of their main goals was to draw people into their church mission team. And so they were trying to build up this mission team. And so I asked them first to write up a description of what church mission team members do, right? In order to invite someone in, you have to tell them what it is that you would like them to do. And so the current church mission team wrote up a volunteer job description. This is what you would do if you chose to sign up for our church mission team. And here's what it was. The items for the duties of a church mission team member were this. Number one, cook spaghetti for annual spaghetti dinner. Number two, set up annual spaghetti dinner. Number three, collect tickets for annual spaghetti dinner. Number four, serve spaghetti at annual spaghetti dinner. And number five, clean up after annual spaghetti dinner. End of list. I was a little confused, and I went back and asked these people, is this is the description for the mission team? Or is this a description for the spaghetti dinner team? I, I wondered out loud to them, is, is, is there a connection between mission and the spaghetti dinner? Or is there anything else maybe that the mission team does all year? Maybe something related to mission? And the current mission team members didn't understand my confusion. In fact, they got a little bit defensive. And they said, the spaghetti dinner is a long-standing tradition at our church. It has been happening since at least 1954. So I did a little more digging, and I discovered that originally, the spaghetti dinner funded some overseas missionaries that this church had sponsored. And then after those partnerships changed in the 60s or 70s, it went to fund refugee programs and a couple of other projects that mission team members participated in. But for at least a decade, no specific mission was supported by the spaghetti dinner. And the organizers weren't even sure if it made money or if it did where that money went. The tradition had completely lost its meaning. Now hear me say, I love a good spaghetti dinner. And I am sure that it was a wonderful time of fellowship and celebration for people in that church. I am sure that it had great value, and I bet it was a wonderful event to invite people into for the first time. But the tradition had lost its connection with the reason it existed in the first place, to raise money for the mission of God that the church felt called to follow. And these particular church members were focused so deeply on the tradition that they didn't even notice they were no longer doing or even supporting mission work. No wonder they were having a hard time recruiting people into this. There was no mission for the mission team. Tradition is important. At home, with our families, in our communities of faith, so much of what we do here at church and as a church is tradition. Tradition. 
big things and little things. And we feel passionate about traditions, about going to the nutcracker at Christmas time, about hosting a harvest dinner, about watching Groundhog's Day on Groundhog's Day, about shooting off fireworks the 4th of July, eating at a certain restaurant after church, sitting in a certain pew at church. As pastors, Garrett and I know the fear that enters the room when we suggest that a certain tradition be changed or even ended. We as people are passionate about our traditions and often with very, very good reason. We can't escape traditions and we shouldn't try. We shouldn't throw all of them out just for the sake of it. But here in this text, Jesus reminds us that we're called to something even deeper than tradition. Jesus calls us to the commandments of God, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. He tells the religious authorities, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. At this point in the story, the ministry of Jesus has really been ramping up. He's coming off of feeding the 5,000 on the mountainside. He's walked across the water, and he has spent time healing dozens and dozens of people who crave just a touch of the fringe of his robe. So as these religious authorities gather around him at this point in his ministry, I can think of a hundred really great questions that they might have asked him. But instead, they feel threatened, and they try to trap him by putting their traditions at stake. You know, you have to get pretty close to someone to see that their hands aren't washed. And with their focus down, staring at the hands of the disciples, these religious leaders can't see the amazing things happening before them. They can't see the people being fed as loaves and fishes are passed in baskets. They can't see the women and the men dancing for joy after being healed. With their eyes so focused on the hands of the disciples, they can't see God's Spirit moving in new and exciting ways. These religious leaders are focused on the input instead of the output, claiming that they serve God with all that they do, but the words of their lips do not match their hearts. So Jesus reminds them it's not about what goes in, but about what comes out. The evil that we need to be concerned about isn't the breaking of a tradition, but the things that are produced. The cleanliness that God cares about has less to do with dirt and more to do with the intentions of our hearts. As it turns out, dirty hands are not the end of the world. Yes, we should wash them, and especially now, in a pandemic, please wash your hands. But did you know that some dirt within your own household context is actually healthy? Many people have reminded me of this since Garrett and I had our baby. There's an epidemiologist who came up with something called the hygiene hypothesis. 
in the 1980s. And maybe you're familiar with this, but he discovered that asthma and allergies are more common in babies in overly clean environments. And so his hypothesis is that infants need some exposure to necessary germs to sort of educate their immune systems. So, Garrett, maybe you're on to something after all. Our daughter has hope at a healthy life, one germaphobe and one reasonable parent. So, yes, wash your hands, but also be reminded that God cares about a different kind of dirt. I wonder what kinds of things we are producing as individuals and as a church. Are they things that create spiritual dirt? Envy, deceit, pride? Or are they things that cleanse? Hope, vulnerability, friendship, service. Think of some of the habits and the traditions in your own life. What are they spurring you on to produce? Are they bringing you closer to the commandments of God, to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to loving your neighbor? Or are your traditions and habits taking you instead further away from that? Have they become the focus instead of the thing that they were originally meant to point to? God gives us traditions rich with meaning and with love. Traditions that we celebrate when we come together. Baptism, communion, prayer, worship. Let's be inspired to look at all that we are producing. To remember the why behind the things that we do and to surround ourselves with meaning that draws us closer to the commandments of God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for the traditions that you have gifted us. I pray that we might always remember the why behind them, and that we may be drawn closer to you and to your call to love you and others. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.